Hi, before we get started today, a quick announcement. The second annual Canadian Advisor Tech Expo is being put on by the Financial Planning Association of Canada this year on March 14th to 17th. If you are a Canadian financial advisor or in management or an executive or just interested in what advisor technology is out there, I highly recommend you sign up. Tickets are on sale at advisortechexpo.ca. And now on to today's show. Hello, and welcome to FinTech Get Packed. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today on the show, I have Essan Shariati, CEO and co-founder of FunctionLand. FunctionLand is a distributed storage platform that allows you to store data on the blockchain, but utilizing your own dedicated hardware. And with that, here's my interview with Essan. Eshan, how are you doing? Oh, pretty good. Thank you, Jason, for having me. So, Eshan Chariati of FunctionLand. Tell us about FunctionLand. So, at FunctionLand, what we are creating is essentially a decentralized Google Cloud. Like, basically, like these cloud providers that we are getting services from, like storage, backups, computation power, like running AI algorithms on their servers, they are the gatekeepers, the one point of failure in the ecosystem. And they have the power to change the terms, change the pricing, and increase it whenever they want to their benefit. So we are decentralizing that infrastructure so that everyone become a provider to others. And we all can, can basically provide services to each other. Then there is no one point of failure, no one, one authority who can control the service. So talk to me about the foundation of Function Land and you know, where did the idea come from? Uh, we, like me and Kayvon, originally like two years ago, actually, we were sitting at our home and uh, the piece of news came out that, that Google Photos is removing the free tier of their photos application. That application was marketed as a free forever app. So it was never supposed to be not free. And we were heavy users of that application. Like we put years and years of photos there. And when that happened, we saw we thought that, okay, these big companies offer these products at the beginning that look balanced for you. Like you know that they are using your photos to, to train their AI algorithm, but you think, okay, it's free. So let me put my photos there. And you do it for years. And after the switching cost for you is too high, they change the terms. So this actually was the start of a function land where me and Kayvon decided to create an alternative of Google Photos. And then we saw that there is no backend to support it because if we are going to create an alternative of Google Photos, then the photos are still needed to be hosted somewhere like on AWS or Google server. So we need to pay for those services. And it's, again, the same game. So we had to create the backend like to, to support this decentralized, in, in like a decentralized backend to support this infrastructure and applications, free applications and open source applications. So, you know, to kind of summarize this, end of the day, we have a handful of companies, really three, that are providing most of the storage for the internet at this point and all of the tools that that gets actually the internet cloud providers build on these days. And yeah, that has been identified as a essential point of failure or concern. And, in the, and to a lesser point, the tax on the internet in a lot of ways. So basically you have Amazon, Google, and Microsoft controlling the vast majority of the data centers out there. And it's great because it drops the price point, but it also creates a centralization issue. So there have been discussions or have been there have been others who've talked about fixing this problem. And most notably, I think in the crypto space is the, is the concept of Filecoin, which essentially may have stolen their idea from Silicon Valley, which is, hey, let's just use everybody's excess hard drive capacity as this giant distributed 
a network and will use the blockchain to both encrypt and compensate people for the data on that. Tell me how you've approached this differently. So actually, we are a partner of uh, Filecoin. So mm-hmm. we, uh, we've, we work together on the on the protocols that, that we have, we are creating. But the approach is different because Filecoin is more focused on B2B, like on, on the businesses. So a lot of businesses are now storing their files on Filecoin to, to, for, for, because it's cheap, cheaper than AWS or Google Cloud. We are approaching consumers. So we are a B2C. So we are providing the same kind of service to the consumers, but also from a different approach. Like Filecoin is focused on files. We are focused on applications because most of consumers, they don't care about the files individually. They want applications that process those data, those files, and provide useful information to them. Like process my photos for me and show me the photos of my friend. Show me the photos of my dog when I search for it. This is the kind of experience that the consumers want. And we are focusing on that experience to give them a stack of applications that they can run. Excellent. So it goes well beyond that. The other piece of this also is that you're not just talking about protocols, you're talking about hardware. So talking about the hardware aspect of this. So hardware is actually a side effect of what we are doing. Basically, as long as we are not holding our data ourselves, as long as we are not owning it ourselves, someone else is holding it for us. So we are never the owner. There is always the possibility that the files that we have somewhere else, they they, they are erased or they like someone decides to not give us the files that we, we have on their hardware. So we thought that, okay, we can create this plug and play hardware that any user can plug into the internet and it becomes a DAP server basically for them. So very easy to set up, but it gives you the power to own your own data. And when you put your heart, like when you have your hardware, a full copy of your files of your data is backed up on your hardware. So if the world is, is like erased, you still have your files on, on your own hardware. But you also have the backups of your files on the neighboring hardwares, basically a backup in case you lost your own hardware. And it's not a necessity for everyone to join the network by the hardware. Like you can basically just join a pool of like people in Toronto who have the hardware and want to provide services to you and use the services of that they are providing from their hardware and pay for it. It'd still be much like uh, less costly than, than Google and, and AWS. And no one is going to show you ads. No one can increase the prices for you. So you still get benefits. But if you want to become a provider, you can get the hardware and provide services to others and earn tokens, basically. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Where's the talk about the compensation for being a provider of hardware? Because the blockchain has given us this power of like P2P transactions, basically without any middleman, we use that, that, that power in the hardware. So when you provide services to others, services being computation power, storage power, or application, like pieces of codes, you earn tokens for, for those services. And then you can use those tokens to, to get services from other pools, from other people, like get more storage from other people, or compute or use applications 
for free, basically, because we, you are using those tokens to pay for the application. Essentially, as you know, many other cases, it's its own little currency within the ecosystem. At the end of the day, you are either a provider or payer of that currency in order for the in order to use those services. So you've talked about the the difference in cost versus say AWS. Can you articulate that? Like, what kind of level of savings are people looking at from a usage standpoint, and what level of revenue could someone be looking at from a or, or in a return on investment from a providing or a storage standpoint? Point. So from the ROI on the investment, basically we are we are a utility token. So we are not a financial token. Mm-hmm. And the token is there to support the utility of the ecosystem, which is storage, compute, and application providing. But in the, we did so we, we ran some simulations with a third-party financial firm. And uh, like with the current estimations, the ROI is less than one year. Like less than one year, you get what you paid for the hardware. And like if you want to store your files without the hardware, so if you have the hardware, you can get all the basic things for free because the tokens will pay for it by itself. If you don't have the hardware and you want to get the services like storage, it would still come out cheaper because a live example is Filecoin because the, the providers are decentralized and the markets at the pricing, not, not like a central authority like Google. And there is no middleman who takes a portion of that from the provider. It turns out to be a lot cheaper. Like Filecoin is now, now tens of times uh, cheaper than AWS. And Ten times cheaper. Wow, that's a substantial difference. Okay. So, right. So bottom line, we've talked about the incentives. Let's talk about the elephant in the room on everything with technology, which is security. Explain to the audience and assume, let's assume also here, first off, how secure is it to have my data stored on someone else's device? This could be sitting on their desktop. So it's more secure than having it on Google, actually, because your files is, is chunked up and is stored on multiple other devices. So like you have one file, like one photo, it's going to be chunked up, encrypted, and then stored on other devices. Your file is never unencrypted in anywhere, even on your own box. So it's, if someone comes to your home and steal your box, they still don't have access to your files. It's, it's all encrypted. The only place that the file gets unencrypted is on your client, on your phone when you are watching it. And we know that it's not the case in a lot of these central providers, like in a lot of these central like servers, an admin has access to the keys and they can go and see your data with, with a few clicks. And this has happened before, like a lot of news that we have seen is actually an outcome of that. But in our system, there is no central key. You are the owner of your keys and no one else can access your files or decrypt it except you. Excellent. So no one is using my files for uh, any kind of deep learning or anything of the sort. Fair enough. So we address the security issue. Let's talk about the entire fragmentation of the data. So talk to me about how that works for the layperson to understand. Okay, so uh, f- by fragmentation and you allow... You mean breaking, uh, like as you said, broken up into pieces. Oh, got it. Okay. So because in a decentralized solution, we don't, if I have a large file, let's say I have a one terabyte video, there might be no other one device that can support this one terabyte for me. So we need to chunk it up. We chunk it up in fixed uh, chunks, like to 256 kilobytes. And we then distribute these files to different boxes. We, we actually, sorry, we encrypt it, we chunked it, we re-encrypt it and distribute it to other boxes. Then you have this encryption key like that, that is created for that specific file and you have it. So it, it's basically stored on your device, on your client device. And we create that encryption key. We like from the signature of 
a decentralized wallet. So basically that your decentralized wallet is responsible for keeping that key. Like if you use MetaMask, it, it will be MetaMask. If you use like wallet kind of, uh, uh, trust wallet, it would be trust wallet. So we connect to your wallet, your wallet signs the request, encrypt the file, we encrypt the file with that signature, send it to for backup. So bottom line is, Steve, we sum this all up. You can basically, if you choose to, buy a hardware device to sit somewhere in your house that will function as storage for both you and everyone on the network. People will utilize the network to basically build applications, store documents, whatever else it is, and they will be stored locally on both your device, but also on countless other devices. And you will be compensated with the token, with the utility token, that which then again allows you to access and utilize that. So really what we're talking about here, it's a B2B play, but it's more of a, I mean, I think it's a B2B play for people who have tremendous amounts of storage need or people who also are developers for that matter. Is that a fair approximation? That's true, yeah. And even like for the for for a lot of businesses, this this can eliminate a lot of barriers for them. Like there are some some retail stores, like the, the company that I worked for, like uh, before I, I was working for L'Oreal, I was in retail for for many years. And these retail companies, the customers' data are a liability for them. Like they they have to be very careful for it. They they need to pay hefty amounts of server costs to keep those data. When the user owns their data themselves, then these companies are not no longer liable. They don't need to pay AWS for, for server costs, and they can focus on the product and giving the customers that experience that they want without worrying about like the data security, because it's the customer who's owning their data, and the customer knows that what data I'm sharing with L'Oreal, for example. So I guess one of the big questions here is adoption, right? Because that's going to be really the um, what is going to make this because you're going to need a certain amount of capacity within the network in order to actually utilize it or to make it functional. What are you looking at in terms of initial adoption of this? So actually, just to, to give more elaboration on that, there is no minimum network capacity that we need. Basically, mm-hmm. me with my one box can get all the benefits except obviously the backups. If I want the backups and I'm the only person I can get two boxes, put one at my home, put one at my office, I get two backups. If if I lose the box at home, I still have it at the office. So there is really no minimum, mm-hmm. but we opened a pre-order campaign for one month actually. And now the initial storage that we have when they go live by the end of the year is two petabytes. And that would be the start. So we start with that, and then we are expanding through having our own sales online next year, which will increase the sales and increase the amounts. But we are no longer at zero. But even if we were at zero, that could still work. Yeah, I mean, honestly, if someone's looking for, has a reason to need on-site external storage, I mean, you become an interesting viable alternative, right? They can get the same benefit while simultaneously being part of this network. And I'm curious, is the, does the value of the token basically change based off supply versus demand needs within the network? Or is that is it kind of static? Uh, yes, it changes but because we are a fixed cap token. So we, we don't issue tokens anymore. That That's like a fixed amount of tokens. Uh, and we are, like, like many projects, we anticipate that the open markets, like the demand and supply that set the pricing and that balances out everything. So 
Yeah, exactly right. If there's not enough storage or not enough capacity, then basically the cost of the token increases, which basically incentivizes people to invest in it and reduces their you know their payback period, and then vice versa. There's too much. Basically, everybody it makes it attract. It makes it even more attractive for people to develop on. Interesting. So, is this basically kind of the end state vision that you see for it, or do you see this like what do you see this developing beyond what you've done? So, the vision that we had was actually to create a platform that uh, monetizes open source. So that's the underlying thinking that we have. We want people to be able to create the creations, anything like application, video. We we have these these influencers who are creating videos and are sharing the majority of the revenue they have with YouTube or Netflix. What we want is, is to create a direct channel between those creators like app developers, content creators with the consumers. And that's actually the vision we have. So, so allow them to go to the customers without any middleman. And in the future, we have plans actually like, like to increase, to, to add another layer of our tokens so that each creator can issue their own token for, for their application or content. And users can basically stake their tokens. If they believe that it's going to be a successful application, they stake they, like that application tokens and later when that, that that application goes live they get a portion of the revenue that the application creator is getting that's basically a direct creator to consumer platform interesting so bottom line is you're able to support it while in its infancy before it goes live and then simultaneously benefit from its launch <laughs> interesting so yes, so uh, small box sitting on someone's desk taking on AWS. I like the uh, I like the David versus Goliath. Look at this. So uh, okay, before we wrap up, there's three questions I like to ask everybody. And the first one is basically, if you had one wish for something you could change in your company or the industry as a whole, what would it be? Well, that would probably be less. Yeah, that would be more openness actually to to the hardware elements because in where we are, like blockchain industry and uh, crypto. There is a lot of focus right now on the software, like NFTs, like things that are hot right now. And there is less attention being paid, like less attention has been paid to the to the infrastructure of it, like the the what needs to support mm. that decentralized ideals that that Web3 came. So there is still not, not that much openness. To, to a hardware element or the underlying protocols that need to support those cool things like NFTs. And uh, yeah, that would probably be something that I, I think it will change very soon. And I, I hope it, it will change sooner. Second question I have for you is what's, the, what's been the biggest challenge in getting the company to where it is today? The biggest challenge is actually the hardware. So because right now, this year, actually, we have the chip shortage and it's, it's very hard to get some, some parts of the hardware, like the compute module proved to be very hard. We, we, we secured it for the initial batch, but that, that was the challenge we had, like, like securing the, the parts for the hardware. Also to the investors, proving that the hardware element is not that scary because a lot of investors think of it as as a beast, and that has been a challenge. So the hardware parts, I would say. Yeah, no kidding. Hardware is hard in development. Let's just put it that way. It's, it's, uh, they, they named it for physicality, but also for challenge. And the last question I have for you is what excites you the most about what it is you're working on and keeps you getting up in the morning to keep on fighting the good fight of entrepreneurship? Well, the most interesting thing is I have been a developer like uh, for, for 15 years. And the vision that we have that to monetize open source, that's something I know that it's very, very interesting for a lot of developers, for for most developers, actually, that I know. And 
enabling developers to monetize their creation without a middleman, enabling content creators to monetize their creation without a middleman. That's a challenging but interesting thing that I enjoy a lot. Like, like when, I, when I think about the end result of what we are creating and the world with, with like everyone having these boxes, providing the services to others, getting services from others without the middleman of these central servers, that's what excites me the most. Like a world without middleman, people who are creators, people who are consumers, and you can essentially enter into the world of providing services to others with just one simple device. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for your time today. I very much appreciate it. Thank you, Jason, for having me. So that was Essen Chirati of Functionland. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please take the time to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or whatever's your podcast. And until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca.